We are continuing this morning in our sermons on words of life that are related to struggles, uh, difficult things in our lives, difficult things that we face. Uh, suffering is... He's suffering right now, right? I'll tell you right now. Uh, suffering is on the more generic end of these words, right? Last week we talked about uh, worry. We're going to talk about um, uh, depression. We're going to talk about uh, some different things as we go through this series. Suffering is the more generic of these words, right? It's just sort of the catch-all phrase. As we think about this, there are many Hebrew, that should be a slash, not a question mark, Hebrew or Greek words that could be translated suffering. This is not like just one word. A lot of the sermons that we've done in this series have been just one word. Suffering is not that, right? It is a word that is broad and big, and it's so common that things like antinatalism, that is, you think about human suffering to the extent that people think it is wrong to have children, because what are you doing when you have children? You're bringing them into a world to suffer. That is a legitimate philosophical idea, at least today, now it hasn't been throughout history. So we understand that suffering is not some sort of unique Christian thing, right? This is endemic to human existence. For the Christian. The struggle with suffering not only stems from the bad things that happen to us, because, again, everybody knows that's going to happen, but the incongruity with God's nature. If you're a nihilist, if you're an atheist, suffering poses no philosophical problem because the universe is random and chaotic and stuff happens and it's nobody's fault and, yeah, suffering exists. But if you're a Christian, there's a difficulty in suffering because we believe that there is a good God who is powerful, right? We believe that there is one watching over things who is fundamentally benevolent in nature. And so the suffering is a problem philosophically for Christians because I experience the same suffering as everybody else, but I also believe that there's a God who could stop it. And yet he does not. Job, of course, faced this struggle very much. Job 10, 1 through 3. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Have you ever felt this way? That you loathed your own life? That you had bitterness in your soul? I suspect many of us have. If you have not, it'll come. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? This is Job's struggle, right? This is our struggle. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Now, Job didn't say allow. Let's be clear. Job thinks God is causing it, not just allowing it, but literally causing it to happen to him. Job doesn't understand that. That's his sort of primary struggle. But for us, we still feel the bitterness and the the complaining and the why are bad things happening, right? We still have this struggle. We think about the Psalms. We think about David and Jesus. Two of, I would say, the most righteous people that have ever existed. Psalm 6-6, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Have you ever been in such pain and suffering and sorrow that you just couldn't stop crying? Literally drenching his couch. I think about my couch. How many tears that would take? So many tears. Of course, it's poetic, obviously. But what is he describing here, right? Suffering. Matthew 26, this was read, uh, I don't know if you read the Matthew one or the, the other one, but this is what Jim was referring to in the Lord's Supper talk. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. 
remain here and watch with me. The Hebrew writer describes it this way. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Now, I do want to plug on Wednesday, starting this Wednesday, we're going to start a deep dive into these kind of prayers and attitude, a study of lament. This is lament. When suffering is so bad that you feel the need to complain to God. Because that's one of the natural reactions. For, again, for the Christian. We think about suffering. Everybody experiences suffering. Our difficulty is there's supposed to be a God who stops that. There's supposed to be a God who prevents that. What general instruction do we have? On Wednesdays, we're going to do a deep study of lament, the attitudes that we have in suffering. But there's some more generic instruction I want to talk about this morning. As we think about this combined with what we talked about last week, worry, where we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, the struggles that we have in life, some general instruction that God has for those who struggle with suffering. Number one, we must consider different kinds and causes of suffering. Not all suffering is made equal. Not all suffering is the same. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Peter 4, which was read for us, this is a similar idea, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something were strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if you are insulted for the name of Christ. What did he say in Matthew 5? Blessed are you when you are persecuted and people speak evil against you on my account. That's what he said in Matthew 5. Because the spirit of God and glory rest upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Sometimes we suffer because we're idiots. Right? We suffer because we do what wrong things. We do evil things. We suffer because of our own bad choices. But sometimes we suffer even though we make good choices. Even though we're doing what God wants even though we are righteous. We understand that suffering does not discriminate. Suffering comes to all of us. And yet we must consider as we are suffering. We must consider why. Why am I suffering? Is it something that I've done to myself? Something that has happened to me because of my own choices? Is it something that is happening to me because I am making good choices and this is a result of living in a fallen world? Or the other option, we have the third alternative... Sometimes bad stuff just happens because we live in a world that has sin and it is not what God intended it to be. Not all suffering is the same. And as we think about our suffering, one of the things we must consider is, is there something I could be doing different that would alleviate this suffering? Because what is he saying here, right? Don't, let, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't suffer because you're doing bad stuff. But yet there still might be suffering. But when you encounter that suffering, the suffering that comes because you've made good choices, then what? The particular attitude we're told to have, what does he say here? Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. He says it in a number of places. James says it this way. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's interesting because Peter is very specific. Suffering 
as a Christian. Suffering because you're doing right things. James is not that specific, right? Of various kinds. What does that mean? Well, that could be any number of things. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter says it earlier in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, similar language to James, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James and Peter are not specific here. This is not suffering that comes because you did right stuff. This is not suffering that comes because people hate Christians. This is just life. Various kinds of trials. The trial of sickness, which James talks about later in chapter 5. The trial of the car wreck, which was maybe caused by human stupidity or human ill will, but sometimes just happens. The trial of, ultimately most of these things come from sin, don't they? Maybe not your sin, but sin or the other. Sin on the part of you sometimes, but sin on the part of others. Sin on the part of society as a whole. Because again, we live in a world where sin has dominion. And bad stuff happens. And yet, what am I told to do? Huzzah! Bad stuff happens. He says rejoice. Count of joy. Have you ever said, huzzah, I have suffering? Have you ever rejoiced in that? Celebrated? Oh, I'm so glad this bad thing happened to me. Nobody ever says that, right? Nobody does that. Yet he does kind of say that, right? Count it joy when you encounter various trials. Rejoice, even though for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. Why? Why am I happy? Why am I rejoicing? Because now I can show... The genuineness of my faith. Isn't that what he says here? Both. James and Peter both say it, right? Count it joy. Why? Because trials test the genuineness of your faith, right? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the tested genuineness of your faith. Why am I rejoicing in bad stuff and suffering? Because it gives me a chance to prove that my faith is not just words. Which is ultimately the struggle of Job, right? Isn't that fundamentally the struggle of Job? God says to the devil, have you considered Job? Job's so awesome. And the devil's like, yeah, Job's only awesome because you let him have good stuff all the time. That's the struggle of Job, right? Job's suffering was a test that he passed. He passed even though he's like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, I want to complain to you. God, let me, have, let me argue to your face, God. Not that Job was happy about his suffering, but yet he did in the end... Prove his faithfulness through suffering. So how do we have this attitude? Okay, this is the attitude I'm supposed to have about suffering. How? How in the world am I going to have this attitude? James 5, we go back to James. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Three times he says be patient. Be patient, why? Why? Because you're going to suffer now, but eventually you won't anymore. But it's the eventually. That's the, the tough part. The eventually I won't be suffering, but how long is that going to be? Well, at the outer range of that will be your entire life. And some people indeed, don't they suffer their entire lives? Be patient. 
What does he say? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The example of suffering and patience. As an example of suffering and patience. Who do we consider? Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Man, they really fit, man. Blessed are you when people revile you and call you all sorts of bad things and persecute you on my account. Well, they're not doing it for Jesus. I guess they are in a roundabout way. Yet the prophets, who are they speaking? They were speaking on behalf of God. And the people rejected them and the people killed them and the people stoned them and the people hated them. That's an example here. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And then James brings up Job. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The story of Job is not one that I would really consider to be compassionate and merciful. The story of Job is really the opposite of that. Hey, why don't you, uh, this is the devil speaking, right? Hey, why don't you let me torment Job for a while? And God says, okay, sure. Now the compassion and the mercy comes in at the end of Job, doesn't it? Where Job goes through all this horrible stuff. He's so bitter about the whole thing. But at the end, it's interesting. Job complains and complains and complains. And what does God say at the end? When he confronts Job's three friends. Friends who are not doing great. You have not spoken right about me as my servant Job has. God didn't blame Job for his bitterness and anguish. He does not blame us for our bitterness and anguish if what? If we are steadfast. If our faith is proven genuine. Suffering does not mean that you've done something wrong. Now, sometimes it does. That was the point in Peter, right? Don't suffer as a thief or a murderer and a meddler. But as you consider your life and you're considering your suffering, yes, sometimes it's not because you did anything wrong. But at the same time, it can become a source of wrong if we allow our suffering to pull us away from God. It's not wrong to feel bad about your suffering. It's not wrong to feel anguish. What does Jesus say? My soul is troubled even to death. The feelings that we have because of suffering are not wrong. But we can be made wrong in suffering if we abandon God. When he says to establish your hearts, James says that. What does that mean? Number one, develop a healthy kind of fatalism. Now you're thinking, what's fatalism? Fatalism is... Uh, Everything is bad all the time. Bad stuff's always going to happen. Well, yeah, it kind of is, right? That's sort of the point. A healthy kind of fatalism that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. What, what does it mean if I'm not surprised? It means that I knew it was coming. It means that I, in some ways, expected it. Suffering can lead us away from God if we are not having the attitude that inevitably suffering will come. If I have the attitude that God is going to keep me from suffering, God's going to keep me from any bad things, well, yeah, of course I'm going to be surprised. Why is this happening to me? But we need to develop the understanding, the expectation that suffering will come. But as we do that, we need to be careful about assigning blame here, right? 
Whose fault is your suffering? Well, possibly no one. Romans 8. We're not going to read it, but Romans 8 goes into a long ordeal about what? The creation has been subjected to futility. Disease, aging, death, all of these things, they come because of sin in the world in a general sense. It's not really anybody's specific fault. I guess Adam and Eve, you could say it's their fault. Of course, you can't really do anything about that blame now because they're gone. So there's this sort of generic sense of suffering. But even then, do we always know why we're suffering? A lot of the times we don't. It's impossible to say. Job, I feel so bad for Job because he never knew. He never learned. God never told him. He asks over and over again, God, why is this happening to me? God, why is this happening to me? God, why is this happening to me? And at the end, God doesn't tell him. What does God say? You don't get to know. Essentially is what God says. If you can tell me how I made the universe, then I'll tell you why you're suffering. Of course, Job couldn't answer him, right? So as we think about suffering, we need to be careful about assigning blame. Because a lot of the time, your suffering will not have a clear cause. It just won't. So we can understand that suffering will come, but we need to be careful not to blame either God or others. And so we cultivate the right kind of suffering, right? Remembering Jesus' example, what does he say? Blessed are you if you suffer because of my name's sake. Peter says the same thing, right? We think about Jesus suffering in the garden. Suffering why? Because God wanted him to do something that was unpleasant. That's the kind of suffering we should be cultivating. Suffering in our lives that results because the world is against God's ways. And if I'm going to live the way that God wants, then there will inevitably be some kind of suffering as a result of that. Now, we could reverse that around. If you have zero suffering in your life, what's the implication? If you have zero suffering in your life, what is the implication? You might be just living like the world, right? Because we should expect the fiery trial. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial because it's going to come if you're living the kind of life that Jesus did. Finally, avail yourselves of the tools that God has given you. What are those tools? Well, primarily there's two things. We didn't really talk about what we don't have time today. Prayer and your fellow Christians. This group is one of the tools that God has given you to endure and suffer. Prayer. James says it over and over again at the end in chapter 5 to pray. Anyone among you sick, let him pray. Anyone, let him call the elders and they'll pray. Let more people pray. Over and over. We talked about it last week in our study of worry. Of the idea of giving things to God, letting things being given to God. Do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. But then, as we think about suffering, we also think about each other, don't we? We think about the example of one another. I think about your example of enduring suffering. But then also, not just your example, but how you can help me. As we think about the opportunities that we have in a congregation of faithful believers. As we will probably say every week in this series, we'll end with this idea. To establish your heart means to set your heart and mind on eternal things. Well, how many times did James say to be patient? Be patient, be patient, be patient as you're suffering. Why? Because we understand that this suffering is not going to be ultimately resolved here. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, that would be the body, right? Things of the body, the earthly nature of ourselves. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. And what happened to Paul? He was stoned, run out of town, shipwrecked, left for dead. Oh, it's fine. I'm reminded of Monty Python, right? Tis but a flesh wound. Light momentary affliction. How could Paul possibly say that? For uh, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, momentary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. How do we endure in suffering? How can Jesus say, Blessed are you when you're persecuted. How can Peter say, rejoice in your suffering? How can James say, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds? Because all of them understood that we're playing the long game. Right? And ultimately trials, suffering, difficulty can help us get to the long game. Because we understand that these things are light Temporary afflictions compared to what? The weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory. As you're thinking about suffering, I don't know what it is that you've got going on in your life. Some of you I do. Some of you I have no idea. Some of you I've never met before, but I know you got suffering because you're a human. Whatever that is, we make the invitation in two ways. First, To set your minds on things unseen. The suffering of Jesus. The thing that we know by faith. What does Jesus say to Thomas at the end? Blessed are you because you have seen and believed. But blessed are are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's what he says to Thomas at the end. We who have not seen Jesus. Who still believe in him. Who still trust in him. We can endure through the tested genuineness of our faith. If you are not a Christian. The way to overcome suffering is to unite yourself with Jesus. To avail yourself of his strength in your life. But if you are a Christian, the other invitation, the second part of the invitation is, let us help bear your burden. Let us help carry your load. Let us help you endure your suffering. Because we know what it feels like, amen? We know what it feels like. Come while we stand and sing.